Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn Awardner, and in this episode, I'm joined by fellow beauty journalist, Claire Coleman. Now, if you are a regular listener, you may have heard that name before because I want to call her the forensic beauty journalist and perhaps say that she has a, uh, what could we call it? Well, she does love a clinical trial, which means that she will really do a deep dive into the scientific data that accompanies launch products or particular ingredients that are new or she will really do some pretty intense research with the scientists and she will be inquisitive with the labs in a way that means that when she does write about something i personally have every confidence that it is on the money i was really keen to get her on the show because i really wanted to dig into why she has that perspective but also because she's always had this viewpoint of the industry and of products what it is that she would advise consumers how she would communicate, really understanding what the best thing is that you can use for you and kind of maybe unmuddle some of the confusing messages that are out there at the moment. So that's why I got her on the show. So that's what you can expect from my chat with Claire. But what's been happening this week? Well, it's been pretty busy, what can I say? And I think one of the things that I found myself doing, if you listened to the introduction a few weeks ago, I've been talking about having epic clear outs and this idea of having a clear out coupled with, I did an interview this week with a supermodel, I can't say who at this point, but um, we were talking about red lipstick and red lipstick is something that every time I interview somebody either famous or a makeup artist and I say, you know, what's your go-to makeup? They'll always say red lipstick and I always know and go, oh yeah, red lipstick's fantastic. But the fact of the matter is, for me personally, I don't think red lipstick's fantastic. I think it's really high maintenance. I think it can make me look like the Joker. I think I can look a real fool when I wear it. And the idea of wearing it without makeup, without any other makeup really, which was kind of the direction this latest conversation about red lipstick was going in, was almost horrifying. But then I thought, as I did with eyeliner a few years ago, well, I can't be right if all of these people have said that red lipstick has this power. So 
with eyeliner a few years ago, I couldn't do it for love nor money. I always gave myself one sleepy or wonky eye. So I said, right, for the next two weeks, you are not leaving the house until it's right. It doesn't matter how many cotton buds you have to go through, how many times you have to redo it, you're going to get it right. You're going to look at YouTube tutorials. You're going to practice, practice, practice. And after those two weeks, I've never had a problem with eyeliner again. That's not to say I don't occasionally make a mistake, but I can rectify it pretty quickly and I have much more confidence. Coupled with that, the idea that I was having this epic clear out and I was looking at my beauty stores and I realised that I love red lipstick so much. I've collected so many over the years. And on just first count, I had about 30, but I never have the confidence to wear them. And we're talking matte lipsticks, cream finish lipsticks, satin finish lipsticks, sheer texture lipsticks, you know, current trend of matte liquid lip. And so I thought maybe it's time to break the, the red dread. Maybe it's time to just go for it. So keep an eye on Insta stories, keep an eye on the Instagram feed and there will be a post going up on emmaguns.com for anyone who's listening to this long after this experiment has happened. But I'm going to wear red lipstick until I run out of the red lipsticks that I've got in my under bed storage essentially. Um, I started with a bourgeois one which is uh, one of the Rouge Editions Souffle de Velvet and it's in the colour is O2 and it's kind of a very sheer but very bright red so that was the one I started with so when you see that go up online you know that that was day one so I eased myself in because that really is quite the um it's a great it's, it's the training wheels <laughs> training wheels training wheels of red lipsticks so that's really it's been a busy week but that's kind of the thing that I think you guys will be most interested in so keep abreast of all of that happening on Instagram right now and again over on emmaguns.com now before we get into the chat with Claire I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been emailing in thank you to everyone who's also written reviews on iTunes I know I say it every week but it means the world to me and your feedback when people say to me that they listened to something in an episode and it really struck a chord and it made them make good decisions about something maybe to do with their health or about particularly in the case of the Jen Sincera episode about making good decisions about their working life that means the world to me that's why I put together this podcast and to hear that you're receiving it in the way that I want it to be received is just wonderful so thank you for your support and if you haven't had a chance to review the show yet and you are enjoying it I would be so grateful if you could go over to iTunes, subscribe, click those stars and also write a little, maybe a sentence or two on what you've been enjoying. But it's time to get in to Claire Coleman's uh, interview. She came over to Casa Guns and we had a good old chinwag and the thing, I've known Claire for a long time and there was a lot that we talked about in this episode but one thing that's, that really speaks to her character is this. I brought her into my office where I have a chair that I bought whilst slightly drunk on an eBay auction and I'm very proud of it because I got it for a very good price, thank you very much, despite the entire bottle of red that was swirling around my gut at the time. But it's um, it's got a light fabric, it's patterned, it's got a light fabric and she was wearing shorts and had faked hand and she sat down and she perched on the end of it and she said, um, could I, could I please sit on a towel? Now that is the mark of a good friend who just thinks it's not worth it, I don't want to stain your furniture. So you know that you're dealing with someone who's straight up and honest when they when they tell you that they can't sit on a favourite piece of furniture in fear of staining it with a guide colour tan. So there we go. I hope you enjoy all of the links to Claire, 
will be in the show notes. She does say in the show that if you have a question about a particular beauty product, ingredient, etc., you can tweet her. So all of those links will be in the show notes. And if you go over to Instagram, click on the post where I announced the show, you'll have all of the information about how to get in touch with her. So here it is, the Emma Gunn Show featuring the forensic beauty journalist, Claire Coleman. I'm joined in this episode of the podcast by Claire Coleman, who I should like to describe as an investigative beauty journalist. I feel like you should have a top hat and one of those cards in it. They're like, a, I feel like you're going to get the story. I'm going to get the story, but I also kind of like want a white coat and like some geeky glasses as well. Do you want to live in a lab? Would that make you really happy? Uh, like genuinely nothing would make me happier. I love a lab and I can't tell whether it's because when I was growing up, my dad did some work in labs and used to kind of take me and my sister along with him and, you know, freeze apple cores in liquid nitrogen and stuff like that. Um, or, or whether it's just that I am basically a geek but yeah I'd love to live in I'd love to work in a lab although actually I know it probably bore me rigid I get the best bits of, well you went to a lab recently didn't you I did I went to a lab in New York I loved it yeah was it was it there was it there was it everything everything that you dreamed of to be fair as of course the people that I was with oh yeah you did have a good group it was an excellent group it was an excellent group um but no it was it do you know what that was not just a brilliant lab tour what was really brilliant about it was the openness of it and because mm. so many people will tell you that they're going to be open about something but actually being given free reign to like nose round and also I love seeing how stuff is made mm. like you know you see a product and it's got ingredients listings on it but like actually seeing the top of the individual ingredients and you're like oh so that's what it looks like and mm. it's just like a weird white powder so to rewind Claire <laughs> Sorry. no no it's fine we got we got lost in a lab so you're an investigative beauty journalist and I joke with you like Claire has come to my flat today and I walked up the road to meet her and I was trying and almost in the style of man trying to lure somebody into the back of a transit van I said do you want to see my clinical trials because you don't take anything at face value no which is there a pun in there considering it's the beauty oh, industry yeah there should be Probably. I might let someone else make it yeah someone else join the dots and tweet us um essentially there's a lot of beauty journalism out there but there's not many people doing what you do which is you really kind of I would almost describe you as a forensic beauty journalist I like that I kind of feel like I should be in like an one FBJ. of those all, all, all in one kind of white suits with yeah I'm a forensic beauty journalist yeah I really like that um I think yeah I don't take stuff at face value I don't take I don't know, but I feel like journalists are meant to question and are meant mm. to ask what's going on and are meant to ask what's going into it and are meant to ask if you're expecting people to pay for this, what are they actually getting for their money? Mm. And, yeah, I like to do that, not just with kind of the people I'm talking to, but also with the features that I write, I suppose. Yeah, because you have blown the lid wide, o- wide open on certain <laughs> things, haven't you? Like, what are the... what are, what are th- Mention maybe a couple of features that you've written in the last few months that would really get across to the listeners the kind of editorial that you write. Um, God, what did I write recently? Oh, um, I'm looking into... There's this whole... This summer, I think you've probably seen, like, loads of brands coming out saying that they're not just um, offering sun protection, but they're offering protection against blue light or HEV, high-energy visible light. Mm -hmm. And um, I was really interested in looking into it, because obviously when something's a trend, I want to know kind of why it's a trend, but also for something like that, what's behind it? And, 
you know, is my worry with the beauty industry is that marketing takes over from research and development and mm-hmm. marketing is used to sell a project product sometimes using pseudoscience as a marketing tool and so I for something like that that is fundamentally sounds like it's something really scientific I want to get to the bottom of it and it's like you know blue light is part of the visible light spectrum it's you know what comes from the part of what comes from the sun as well um, do we really need protecting from it in a different way that we need protecting from UV? And um, so, yeah, that was one of the stories that I wrote uh, for Sunday Time Style. Um, and I, just other things, I suppose, I take a more uh, geeky, investigative, call it what you want, approach to things. I'm always <laughs> so, going to call it geeky. <laughs> um, I just did a piece on, I just haven't been published yet, um, for the Mail about what makes perfume last longer. And, you know, some people say if you put Vaseline on and then put perfume on, and then some people say if you put it on wet skin, and some people say if you put it on top of a moisturiser. And so um, I went and I worked with florists, and I talked to um, one of their um, people from their uh, bespoke fragrance department there, and we devised an experiment which basically involved us drawing um, squares, two-inch squares, on our forearms and uh, applying perfume in various different ways to those squares, some with moisturiser, some with Vaseline, and then sniffing our arms, <laughs> different patches along our arms, at regular intervals. Um, and so, <laughs> so it's not... But Okay, so that is a unique... Not necessarily unique, but that is a really forensic way of going about it because yeah. I would go to an expert if I was writing a piece and I have written pieces before where I'm like oh how do I get my perfume to last long and they'll be like oh spritz it on your pulse points and I'm like good job done that's a really good tip so it's it's less it's much more um forensic is the right word is the only word I can genuinely think no. of but also I feel like once I've read your pieces I'm completely up to date and I'm completely informed. Thanks. But so much work must go into that yeah, research. Yeah, it does. But then I'm okay with that. Like, you know, I often tell, you know, people from R&D departments or, you know, dermatologists that the stuff I'm asking them is never going to appear in a piece which is for consumers because it's it's far too detailed. It's not something that consumers really care about. They just want to know, like, the upshot. But generally, if someone's saying, this is happening, then I will say, okay, can you explain to me the mechanism by which Mm. that is happening? And, you know, I do want to know the biology and the biochemistry behind it, because even if I'm not going to write about it, I'm not going to just take what you say as Mm. possible, unless you can explain to me why you think that's the case or... Are you ever the annoying person who's always got their hand up? I'm always, like, I can't even believe you're asking that question. I am always the annoying person who's got their hand up. But you must now be able to, if someone tries to BS you, you must be like, um, excuse me, can I just uh, reference this particular study in 2014? Sometimes I can, but, like, um, I think the thing is that I'm always really aware that you know, I'm not a dermatologist, like, I didn't study medicine, I, I'm not even, like, officially a scientist, like, I'm totally not a scientist, <laughs> what am I talking about? I did languages <laughs> at university, I'm just, like, a massive geek. Right. Um, and so I'm always really aware when I'm standing in front of someone whose life is spent in a lab, mm. that they, you know, they probably do know an awful lot more mm. than me. Well, probably, of course they know an awful lot more than me. I might be better at translating it into kind of, like, real speak, mm-hmm. but they know more than me. And so, you know, I don't ever presume that I know better than the person that I'm interviewing, but if I'm not sure about what they've said to me, 
then I've got a whole load of dermatologists or like brilliant science-based people who I can phone and say, look, I've just heard this or someone's just told me this. Do you think it's, do you think that sounds plausible? Um, and I do do that. And sometimes I do, you know, spend hours on stuff that I should probably just get done quicker. So how does that affect you as a consumer? Um, in terms of what I'm prepared to buy into. Yeah. Um, I guess it means that I'm much less seduced by pretty packaging and mm-hmm. a nice smell than I might otherwise be. Um, and actually, that's completely true. I know there are products that I use, and I, I think I'm also very aware that my approach to skincare, for example, is actually quite peculiar and I was going to say unfeminine, but I, that's not really what I mean. I suppose what I mean is that I don't care what a product looks like or smells like or feels like if I'm convinced of its efficacy. I don't really see my skincare as um, a pampering ritual. Mm. Um, I see it as something quite functional. I'm, like, I'm obviously massively vain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, because I do most of what I do to try and make my skin look younger and to protect it. Um, but I do that, in a, I think, probably in a different way from the way that most women approach skincare. And I am, I'm very conscious of that. So does your dressing table just look like lab samples? Um, no, because I, I, you know, I'm still, you know, slightly seduced by the novelty type thing. Mm. I get sent this and I'm like, oh, I want to try that, I want to try that. But no, I, I have got better uh, kind of paring back my skincare. Um, but, you know, I always use um, SkinCeutables C-Ferulic as an example of a product. I mean, A, it's massively expensive, so when I write about it, I don't, I mean, I don't often write about it and recommend it because I'm really aware of how expensive it is. Mm. Um, but it's also, it's not a nice product to use. Like, it's a really thin serum. Um, it kind of smells a bit like Marmite, like liquid Marmite. Um, <laughs> don't you think? I've never actually used it. Anyway, so yeah, no, it's just but it's on my really list difficult. of things to correct. It's kind of like it's it's clear, it's really thin, it's quite watery, um, it's quite difficult to apply, and it doesn't smell great. But I'm utterly convinced that it's one of the best antioxidant serums that there is, and so I continue to use it. See, I think this is really interesting because I think that we're at a bit of a tipping point in the sense of we're at this point where beauty and the idea of self care. And self-esteem and self-worth are becoming much tighter. Like there's, I mean, you only have to look at Instagram and see the odd Insta quote to see that people are sort of meshing the two. So I think very much the British cleanse tones moisturize has become is kind of a pampering ritual. Mm-hmm. If I think about that, I think of cotton wool balls and like pink cream. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think about sort of, you know, sitting at a dressing table, Joan Collins style, like laboriously layering and what have you. But then I think, again, we've got this other school of skincare that's really having its moment more than it ever has before of just, it doesn't have to feel good, it doesn't have to smell nice, it, but if you want high-performance skincare, this is how it looks and feels. And you're right, some of those formulas are not sexy. No. And so I think there's going to be an interesting blending of this kind of self-care, beauty, pampering meets high-performance. And I think that they will merge somehow. But I, I haven't quite figured out. What do you think? Um, I find, I think, kind of what you were saying about more of a holistic approach to beauty, I think, is really interesting. I was talking to um, Nancy from MBPR the other day, mm-hmm. and she was saying she thought the concept of a beauty editor 
was really um, almost anachronistic. It sounds kind of slightly 1950s-ish, um, because actually we're so much more about just the aesthetics of something. Mm. Um, it's much more about, you know, we know that you can't look good if you feel like shit, basically. Yeah. You know, it's like, And so that all of those things kind of come together. And I wonder whether, when we talk about holistic, we mean you know, various different aspects, you know, how you're eating, how you're exercising mm. and what you're doing. And so from that point, but then also mindfulness being a part of that and mm. the kind of mental health being a part of that. And I guess it's horses for courses. I don't, I don't know. I don't feel the need to make my beauty the way that I relax with, I pamper myself. Mm. But then maybe other people. But do you see it as a form of self-care? Yeah, I feel I like I suppose I do. But then actually, I, do you know what? I suppose I see it as much... I kind of see it like brushing my teeth, which I suppose is a form of self-care. Mm. Um, I, I, but I see skincare very differently from colour cosmetics. Like My colour cosmetics, I feel I mess around with and I think is more fun. Mm. And I feel much more of a consumer when I talk about... when I think about colour cosmetics than I do when I think about skincare. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you'll kind of buy something because of a trend or... On a whim, more. Whereas yeah. with skincare, it's like, no, no, you have to perform. Well, also, I think, and I realise what the difference is between this because I know that my whole approach to um, skincare is it doesn't matter what I think of it, it doesn't matter whether I like it. What matters to me is how a hundred women's skin has reacted to this, or like what you can show from a hundred women mm-hmm. uh, who've tried this product. Um, and especially with skincare, when you need a certain period of time to elapse and you know you to see kind of how yeah. something works but with skincare uh, with um color cosmetics is so instant it's mm. like do we like this color you know does it feel like it slips nicely on and frankly you know in terms of how a product goes on you know a lot of people try and back their hand or on like and i know that there'll be certain foundations which are better for different people depending on their skin types but mm. this it's very immediate there's very much kind of instant gratification mm. so you kind of you know whether it works and also i don't know i suppose i still don't spend huge amounts of money on color cosmetics you don't, don't need to do you need oh, to? So kind. <laughs> this is. Uh, I'm kind, but also I was meaning because we. <laughs> shit. We've talked about this before, and I know that when we emailed about what we were going to discuss, we talked about um, the fact that more expensive doesn't necessarily mean better. Yeah. Uh, no, I do absolutely believe that. And I think the thing is that I, I have a real reputation within the industry, and I know that there are some brands who won't talk to me. Um, and I know that people believe that I think that if something is expensive, it's not worth buying. Or if something's expensive, I'm, I'm automatically going to be rude about it. And that's not the case at all. I suppose I just feel really strongly that women should know what they're spending their money on. And, you know, if... And this is where my perspective on skincare is functional kind of deviates and I'm aware that not all consumers feel the way that I do because a lot of people feel that they want to go to a nice counter in a nice department store and have you know an assistant in a beautiful outfit help them select the product that is right for them and they want to be able to have it in a glossy bag with tissue paper and all mm. the rest of it and a nice bow exactly and some sample and sizes. a bit of ribbon and all the rest of it um a bit I want people to know that you pay for that mm. and that because you're buying a hundred pound product that doesn't mean that you're getting 
five times better ingredients and five times better results than you would be if you'd picked up a £20 product in Boots. And mm. that's what I feel really, really strongly about. You know what? I'm so thrilled that we live in a country where there is this kind of massive gamut of price that you can pay for anything. And we have choice. You know, of course, we all have choice. But it, I really want women to have informed choice and mm. know that, you know, price doesn't equal quality. That's what I think. Is that just a... Okay, so if you were... So if you were to become a shopper and to yeah. help women buy skincare, mm-hmm. what, how, what rules would you want them to pick up on that first day or in that session? What, what rules to I buy? I think I'd to know what was important to them. And if what's important to you is the experience of shopping, I do not judge you on that at all. Mm. Because... If the experience of shopping makes you feel better about the product that you're using, you will probably think that it is having the effect that Mm. you want it to have. And, you know, I really rail against the idea that skincare is um, smoke and mirrors. But equally, I'd be an idiot to kind of rule out the fact that the well-documented placebo effect in medicine isn't going to have an effect in the beauty industry as well. Um, And so I suppose... That would be my first question. Like, what you know, what's important to you when mm. you're buying a beauty product? And if for someone that's the experience, then okay, that's fine. Let's talk about that. That's going to be you're going to have, you're going to want something different from popping down to boots and selecting a product yourself. But like you say, the it, the experience is what's different there, not necessarily the yeah. the um, results that you get from yeah. using the product. Yeah, but then you know knowing something intellectually is very different from emotionally feeling it Mm. and there will be people who I say you know this product is going to do just the same for you as this product which is five times the price and there'll be some people who are going to say that's brilliant I'm that's really exciting I can save you know Mm -hmm. 80% of what I was spending before and I can spend it on something else they're going to be other people which say do you know what I still want to go and buy that product that's five times the price of the other one because I just feel like the way that it's been put together is worth the money if that's what they think that's what they think you know I just but you know I want people to know that that's you know the glossy advertising the you know the stall and you know the set up in Selfridges or Harrods or wherever you know these things cost money and the person paying for them is the person who's buying the product well quite do you feel as though there's a lot of talk out there about the consumer being more informed than ever do you believe that to be true I think there is more information out there. Um, And not just in beauty industry. I think, broadly speaking, there is more information out there. Um, I don't necessarily think that the quality of information out there means that the consumer is more informed, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think they have more information. I don't necessarily think that they are that the information that they have is filtered. But then I suppose a lot of people would accuse me of coming from a mainstream media background, and I would say that. Yeah. Um, You know, I think that social media has made it easier for brands to talk to consumers. Um, It's made it easier for consumers to pick up a broad range of opinions. But opinions aren't facts. Mm. And... You know, I was on a Facebook group the other day and people were talking about SPF. And this woman made a sweeping comment, which basically she said, the main ingredient in sun creams is carcinogenic. 
Wowzers. And, I, you know, I, I quoted screeds of information to her, but I think the fact is that... <laughs> she was in the wrong Facebook group. <laughs> she was in the wrong Facebook group. Um, but I can't... I, like, I said to her, you are entitled to your own opinions, not mm. entitled to your own facts. And that's the thing that I feel really strongly about. Mm. Like, you know what? If you want to be, I don't know, a climate change denier or whatever... You're entitled to think that your opinion is is what it is, but I don't feel that gives you the right to kind of reshape facts and reshape science. And I actually, I think that's part of a far broader conversation Mm. we should be having at the moment, especially with, you know, what's going on in various parts of the world and the, I don't know, not necessarily censoring of the media, but the discrediting of the media. Um, And I think, yeah, it really worries me, but on a broader scale than just beauty okay (laughs) drilling down into beauty though specifically um one of the things that we were going to cover was the integrity integrity in the beauty industry i feel like this is a series of short stories integrity in the beauty industry are they little erotic novels (laughs) no i think they're probably thrillers or scare stories scary stories horror stories maybe i don't know integrity in the beauty industry yeah i did say i wanted to talk about that didn't i but i just i don't know i suppose I suppose I'm quite naive. Like, I um, I want there to be truth and I want there to be honesty. And I think part of the problem is that a lot of the way that the beauty industry sells to you is by pretending to be your friend and by um, pretending that it gets you and that it knows what you need and what you want. Um, and I think that when it comes down to it, they're not always honest about the fact that they want to sell product. And I suppose some of the time I feel that I do get taken in by, you know, Mm. (laughs) for me, um, gets taken in by the idea that they want to be honest about things and they want to do things in the right way. And and then it becomes disappointing when you realise that, you know, actually, no, we're just... So, for example, there is a really big company... Um, who have created a new range and they are talking about it not having parabens in. Now, I feel quite strongly about parabens. I feel that they are not all the devil's work. I feel that... Just for the listener's benefit, for anyone who oh, doesn't sorry, know, yes. just please describe a paraben. Okay, so a paraben is um, a... It's a preservative, basically. It's um, a preservative that occurs naturally in certain fruits, but there are different types of parabens which have been used in the beauty industry for a really long time to um, preserve um, products, basically to make sure that once you've opened them, they don't go off, Mm. that microbes and grim things don't start growing in them that could do all sorts of terrible things to your skin. So it prolongs the efficacy of the active ingredients in cases... It's not necessarily even about prolonging the efficacy of active ingredients. It's as much about ensuring that a formulation is the same formulation on day 30 as it is on day one. Okay, that's a really lovely way of describing it. Okay, Um, So, yeah, so you know that when you're using it, then it's going to have the same effect as it would have done when you opened it. Um, And parabens got a really bad rap, primarily for one bit of research that was done at Reading University in... This is what I love about you, Claire. (laughs) I can actually... Um, it was a 75-page document. Was, they used Helvetica font. Um, 
But yeah, it was a it was um, a piece of research that identified, and I'm going to misremember this, so I probably shouldn't go into great detail. But it was a piece of research which identified parabens, I think, in breast tissue um, of women who had had breast cancer. But my feeling is that it also identified parabens in breast tissue of women who hadn't had breast cancer, which was why it was basically it was a, it was within the scientific and kind of medical industry it was a controversial paper it was roundly considered to be questionable in its research techniques um but it was something that was picked up on by big names who have a lot of clout um like Gwyneth Paltrow and goop goop indeed um and it's very very difficult when the story starts doing the rounds that parabens are bad to get over that Mm. and so this big brand who have released a new um, range of products and they're talking about them being free from parabens and I confronted their head of science and she's because (laughs) well obviously I did the way you describe it I just feel like it was in a back alley (laughs) (laughs) no it wasn't it was it was very nice you waited for her after work in the car park because they still use parabens in other of their like other of their brands still use parabens because they are broadly believed to be among the safest most effective um uh, way of preserving products and Sam Farmer who has his own skincare brand which he um, developed for young people after finding it difficult to find products for his own kids that weren't massively gendered mm. um, went and did all his research and he has got a whole section on his website about why he uses parabens um, and I totally recommend that for anyone who wants to kind of I will put the link in the them. show notes um, but yeah so parabens are still being used by this company in other ranges and so they said oh you know we're talking about you know not using parabens and as another part of their discourse they were talking about the importance of educating um consumers about certain aspects of the beauty industry and so i did confront her and i said you know what like you're telling us that your products are formulated scientifically and that you know consumers need to be educated about x y and z but why are you not educating consumers by standing by using parabens because if you're using science to sell me a product and science seems to suggest that parabens are the safest and most efficient way of preserving that product but you're not using them so by saying that you're not using them that suggests that there's an issue with them Mm. and that's the sort of thing that I mean about integrity in the industry and you know the obvious answer is we don't use parabens because consumers don't want parabens in their product and we're trying to sell them a product okay that's fine yeah but and there's nothing wrong with them doing that of course there's not but then I, I, I find myself disappointed in them. <laughs> because I, I think if you use science, to, like, you kind of live by the science and you die by the science. I mean, like, you can't pick the bits of science that you like. That's not how it works. And so that's why I get upset about it. Mm. I mean, upset probably suggests I'm more exercised about it than I am. But it, it annoys me. I find that really interesting. Because I didn't... So one brand uses parabens in other products but has a whole range that's paraben free clearly with the objective of attracting the consumer who doesn't want a paraben in their product yeah but like of course they do they're like their object is to make money mm. and you know i should uh, that's what i mean but is it not like i understand your frustration because because i i do understand where you're coming from but equally i think coca-cola developed a sugar-free option Sure. To attract, I mean, with Diet Coke, it's a female audience, and with Pepsi Max, it's a male um, audience. But 
Is that not the same thing? Um, yes, it is. But I suppose that, you know, the Coke and the Pepsis of this world don't use consumer... Tr- don't use science to sell us a product, do they? Like, they're not telling you that Coke or... Maybe they do. I don't know. I suppose I feel like... I hate it when science is used, or pseudoscience is used as an advertising mechanism. And yes, it's about consumer choice. And I sound really dictatorial when I'm saying that consumers are making... But again, I suppose it comes down to informed choice. And that, mm. I guess that's where it comes down to. Because yes, make an informed choice. But if you're making your choice informed by... Pseudoscience slash misinformation slash yeah. something that's been slightly bent to yeah. uh, um, appeal to your yeah. way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I hear you. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do like I do like the Coke thing that I just pulled out of my hands. Um, now let's go back to clinical trials exactly because I know I with good reason because there's a difference between a clinical trial and tell me what the other one is. Consumer trial. Exactly. So. If you've ever seen a um, poster for a product that says 73%, it wouldn't be that, would it? It'd be like 87% of women who use this product said they thought their skin was more glowy after 10 weeks. That could be 10 people. So that could be an eight and a half review out of 10 people. So that's where you have to... And often you'll see in the small print of 40 women trialled. Yeah. For you, if you see a consumer trial, do you disregard it? Um, I don't disregard it entirely. I used to because I was absolutely focused on clinical trials. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com and objectivity and all the rest of it but increasingly I know that it's important that what women see in the mirror is I don't think as important as what you can tell objectively but equally I feel like you know you have to be able to see a difference and I suppose that's the thing so mm-hmm. in exactly the same way as when someone presents me with a clinical trial and says we have seen wrinkles improved by you know however many nanometers I'm like, okay, well, if I'm standing in front of a mirror, am I going to see that difference? Right. Like, so I feel like it, for me, yes, I, clinical trials are really, really important to me because, like, in the best case scenario, a clinical trial is 
a company that is not affiliated with the brand. They're an independent company who all they do is clinical trials, who the brand pay to take this cream or product or whatever it is, um, try it on, or get these women to try it, measure before and after different parameters and see if this is making a difference. In the absolute best case, they will, I don't know, do maybe a half-face study where they're testing a cream which has got the active ingredients in against a cream that hasn't got any active ingredients again in it and both the people who are trying the product and the people who are assessing the people who've tried it have no idea which was used where. So is that a double blind study? That is a double blind controlled study because it means the double blind is that neither the users nor the assessors know which was being used um, where and the control is the product that doesn't have the actives in it. So in that case would it matter how many people are using the product? See this is where I trip up because I did A-level statistics (laughs) and I used to know all about t-tests and stuff like that but I still find it really difficult to work out what numbers of people should be involved in a trial. And broadly speaking, like, I think the bigger the magnitude of difference you're seeing, the fewer the people you need to have trying the product. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think. But, um, yeah, that, that is one of the ones where I will go to a statistician or I will go to someone who does clinical trials the whole time and say, this is what they're claiming and this is the number of people. Do you think this is something that's valid? Do you have, um, when, when, they do a double, when they do a half-face mm-hmm. trial, so the same person uses one product on one side of their face and another product on the other side, um, do they take into the, the account what side of the road that you drive on? Uh, yeah, and, and I think a lot of the time they will try and mix those things up. And also, bearing in mind that you're probably going to be assessed before and after, and they will also look at the time of year. A lot of the time they will try and do it at a time when it's not midsummer or whatever, mm. because you want to try and avoid that. But yes, there's a huge amount of evidence that suggests that if you're in America as opposed to in the UK, different side of your face ages at slightly different Yeah, time. because UVA penetrates glass. So if you are a driver... If you live in the UK, you're more likely to have, or it's yeah. potential that you could have more sun damage on the on right, right side, side of your, of your face. face. Yeah. Um, and likewise, if you drive on the other side, that you'll have more on the left. Yeah. So that's why when I have read pieces before where they take one woman mm-hmm. and she uses one cream for one side of her face mm-hmm. for however many weeks and then a really expensive one on the other side of her face and then... It's like we that side that they've used the expensive cream on is actually in this country more yeah. prone to damage anyway. So Yeah. One person does not a study trial. No, it doesn't, but you know, sometimes it's better. <laughs> what about because a lot of people say this to me actually, they're like, Oh, I know someone and all they've used all their life is just, you know, a very simple oil gel. Well, they don't say that. They don't say oil gel emulsion. <laughs> oil and water emulsion, sorry. Um, but there, there's always somebody who says, oh, my great auntie, she's used nothing but a cold cream since she was... And her skin's fantastic. She looks 20 years younger than she really is. I mean, A, genetics. Mm. Like, genetics, genetics, genetics. You know, you like it's just the way that it is. There mm. are certain people who are going to be more predisposed to ageing than other people. Yeah. Um but also, like, don't underestimate the value of a good daily moisturiser, staying out in the sun and massaging your face twice a day. Uh, you know, 
having a routine, almost regardless of how basic it is, mm. is I think still a routine. Still a routine, and and it's the it's the doing things every day, isn't it? It's the it's not the like the one workout with your personal trainer. It's like what you do every single day in between that, and mm. it's the same with your skin. If you're doing something which, broadly speaking, is positive for your skin, twice a day, every day, from the age of seventeen or whatever, then probably not going to look bad <laughs> as long as you're not baked yourself in the sun well this is it now i'm going to read out because we um you posted we went to a dinner the other week yes. um for real techniques it was their powder blue launch so they've got these new brushes that are designed for powder exclusively yes. um and they're delicious and lovely and i'll put the link to those in the show notes because they do actually feel incredible and they don't need washing. <laughs> and as Claire came in when she when she came into my flat, there was a big towel on my kitchen sideboard where I'd just been washing far too many brushes. Um, so can we read out what yeah, you wrote yeah. your caption? Yeah. So this is what Claire put on um, Instagram. So it was a picture of the brushes, and she said, "It really annoys me when people assume that the beauty industry is just fluffy and full of airheads duped by snake oil." I wish those people had been with me last night at the launch of Powder Blue, a new range of Real Techniques brushes, uh, synthetic synthetics developed especially for use with powders. I have nothing but admiration for Sam and Nick, the women behind them, who are not only some of the hardest working people I've met in the industry and hugely impressive businesswomen, but are bloody lovely with it. And they do throw epic parties, you are correct. And then you said you got to catch up with a load of other brilliant beauty women, Nadine, Sally, Ree... Laura from uh, Cosmo Online, Joe GB, um, Ruth Crilly, and uh, you might have mentioned me as well. (laughs) Yeah, I think I probably did. (laughs) But taking you back to the whole thing about the beauty industry is just um, fluffy and full of airheads duped by snake oil. Discuss. Um, Yeah, I mean, beauty and the beauty industry generally, I, I still feel like even in 2017, the idea that women are interested in the way they look is still you know not a source of shame but something that we should be worried about like that is something that's somehow not okay to talk about Mm. um you know people will say things like well you know there's wars going on and there's and it's like you know what I have the capacity to compare like to care about a war and about what color lipstick I'm wearing Mm. I'm an amazing multitasker like that (laughs) (laughs) but um and yeah, and I do feel like this whole thing about, you know, the beauty industry being really fluffy and full of snake oil. And I think especially at the moment where there's, we're seeing a massive sea change in um, the publishing industry. And a lot of people who had worked in newspapers and magazines are having to think about what they do next mm-hmm. and whether they move into, um, I guess, I was going to say new media, but that sounds like really old fashioned. Yeah, it does sound, doesn't it? Um, Do you mean but, like podcasts and blogs? I mean like podcasts and blogs. <laughs> All that newfangled stuff. Um, and But also just how, basically how they make their money from what they know. Because I feel like the beauty industry is, it's a massive industry. Mm. You know, I always worth think... Billions, worth billions, darling. billions. I always think of that scene in um, The Devil Wears Prada when Miranda is talking about... Um, Cerulean you know, Blue. Yes, exactly <laughs> that. And I kind of want to develop my own like version of that to talk about the beauty industry and the number of people that it employs. And, you know, 
know, how valuable it is to the economy in the UK and, you know, all of these sorts of things um, and a whole load of other kind of psychosocial things as well, which we might come on to later. Psychosocial? Well, what I was saying about the, like, the transgenerational um, kind of nature of beauty and the, the way that it can unite people and also the way it can make you feel good about yourself. Like, I can't remember who... I, I was in the office at the Mail the other day and someone was watching me put makeup on. And I was just like, it, the transformative power of makeup, mm. is, and I think people might not expect me to say that because they think I'm a cynical old cat who only cares about <laughs> clinical trials and skincare. But I love the fact that I can wake up looking really crap and feeling really miserable. And that, you know, actually making the effort to put some makeup on can change that, mm. even if only in a small way. Um, so, yeah, the, the idea that beauty is dismissed as fluffy when I see so many women kind of ploughing their own furrow and coming furrow furrow is that a mm-hmm. thing i think so okay. um <laughs> making their making their own tilling work. their soil <laughs> i don't know <laughs> just you know doing that doing their thing um <laughs> and kind of coming up with innovative and interesting ways to make the beauty industry work for them and to create stuff that is of interest and of value to other women and like let's be honest it is mostly other women mm. um and, you know, and also being really supportive with it. And I just think, uh, you know, the idea that when you get a load of women together, they're all going to be bitchy or they're all going to be kind of like, you know, clambering over each other to, you know... Get to the nearest man. Get to the nearest lipstick. Um, <laughs> it just strikes me as crazy because it's actually... I find I find so many people in the industry so supportive mm. and um, and so kind to each other and so, and so generous. Um... So yeah, I guess that that was kind of what I was trying to say, and and when I look at people like Sam and Nick, I think absolutely inspirational. Mm. I just I do think they're brilliant, brilliant businesswomen. But like, and that makes them sound like they're cynical with it, which is not what I intend at all. I just think, you know, they know what works. They know who their audience are. They and they work so bloody hard. Do you know, I was thinking about this the other day, and I just wonder whether the fact that they started before they they were some of the first, and so they never thought about what's my voice how how are we going to sound what's our should we publish this time of day and you know when I think about this podcast I used to publish it on a Monday morning thinking people will wake up download it listen to it on their commute and then about six months in I had breakfast with a friend and she said dude publish it on a Sunday that's when you get all this traffic the analytics show this and then started pulling up all this data to show that you should publish things on a Sunday and it did. It had the impact that I thought it was going to have, but it um, it was there was intent there. There yeah. was like you know I'd analysed it and it sort of. But then you know what? Like, don't knock yourself for like doing what a business person should be doing. No, but there's is... something really pure about what Sam and Nick did, where that it was before all of that. They yeah, were just of themselves. Course. But I think I I'd also I think that's a really kind of like uh, I don't want to say maybe it is a female trait uh, to kind of feel like you know to have integrity it has to be pure it has to be natural it has to be and you mm-hmm. know i guess that ties into my thinking yeah. about skincare ingredients that natural doesn't necessarily mean better than synthetic um but i you know i i i know exactly what you're saying that they are absolutely themselves mm. and but you know i think that doesn't you know that's not the only reason that they're brilliant i suppose oh no not at all but i just think it's one of the things that means that they've never They've just run, had this course and they've just yeah. always been able to 
they've yeah. never had to second guess themselves because yeah, they made true. that first decision so it was like any decision we make from here on in or anything that we do is authentic yeah. and I'm beginning to hate that word it's up there with influencer for me yeah well because also the thing is it's like you know it kind of also, if you it's getting to that point where you can't say if it's if you don't say it's authentic you're implying by leaving out the word authentic I know. that it's not and influencer because I feel like blogger became a dirty word and I don't necessarily believe that to be true. Some of the bloggers that I know are the hardest working people out there. Um, but influencer seems like a sort of umbrella term to cover anybody who can sell products. Yeah, yeah. Essentially. Yes. But like not my favourite. Not my favourite at all. Um, let's quickly touch on that natural versus synthetic thing. Ooh, yeah. Is this going to... Do you want to No, stand no, up? no. I'm weird. I'm like... Um, yeah, uh, again, I think and it, people assume that I am anti-expensive and anti-natural and all the rest of it. And, you know, the natural thing, I guess, comes into the same um, category. Like, if you want to use a product that is only made from what you perceive to be natural ingredients, then I'm fine with that. But don't think you're getting a better product than if you're using one that's made from synthetic ingredients. And this is where I kind of stand up for chemicals and toxins and stuff like that. And I come at it from a very, I guess, scientific perspective, which mm. is that every single thing in the world is composed of chemicals. You know, water is a chemical, and at a certain dose, water is toxic. Mm. And, you know, that's, I guess, that's my stand on natural and unnatural and you know everyone's like oh deadly nightshade is natural but you know more pressingly like lavender oil had been shown to have oh, did it make i feel like it made teenage boys grow breast tissue or something like what that. now um i'm this is actually, the second i know <laughs> do you know i know i heard you talking to nadine about this and she was saying cell death and stuff like that and also i i meant to look up what she was talking about there because this kind of took me, I, I, it made me think that she might have been referring to, um, and this is where we get a bit, again, geeky, in vitro stuff where, like, basically, if you have a live cell in a Petri dish and you put something on it, then you get an effect which is not necessarily the same effect that you would have if you put that something on your skin and the, it had to go through various pathways to get mm -hmm. to that live cell. But, yeah, I mean... I would imagine that if you had a live cell and you dropped lavender oil on it, then it would kill the cell. But I don't know if that's what she was talking about. And I probably should have researched that before coming to talk to you <laughs> But about it's just it. the second time that lavender um, oil has got a terrible rap on this show. I don't want to, like, I don't want to pick on <laughs> lavender oil. Lavender oil also has been um, proven from an aromatherapeutic point of view to generally have a, uh, genuinely have an impact on um, stress, um... It calms the central nervous yeah. system, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that and that is, you know, I'm not anti lavender oil. No. If you make lavender oil, don't, don't send me. I don't know whatever you would do to people who slagged off lavender oil. Drown you in lavender oil. <laughs> God. Would that be toxic? Yes, I'm yeah, sure it probably. would. Um, that so okay so anything because there's been a lot about and I come back to Gwyneth here because I've read some stuff on her site that have definitely ruffled a few feathers, but this idea that you have to only have natural products because if your skin absorbs a chemical, then you're more likely to get a serious illness. That does seem quite scaremongering. Yeah, I think it's massively irresponsible. And I, 
you know, there are, I heard when you were talking to um, Paula about, she meant reference. From Paula's Choice. Yes, and she referenced the EWG, which is Environmental Working Group, and um, that's what they're called um and they are you go on their website and you read what they say about certain ingredients and you know it's just you would you'd never use anything that wasn't water and coconut oil but then actually i'm sure you could find a way of you know making water sound toxic and well you know um i don't think there'll ever be a backlash against coconut oil though my friend but there was the um American Heart Association came out. Oh no, they did. They said it hardened in your arteries. Well, said it's just basically it's not as good as you think it is. And then a load of people got really upset (laughs) and said that they picked out the wrong bits of evidence. And I was, and again, on a forum, I should probably just not engage with people because I didn't. (laughs) But they were saying, and I was just trying to get them to explain to me why an association in the states that that cares about um, cor- um cardiac but sorry cardiac what, what am i trying to say um cor- cardiac health yeah cardiac health there we go um uh why they would be subject to some sort of lobby to discredit coconut oil mm. and she sort of started talking about how um there were loads of lobbies from like the cereal groups and from like you know essentially the people who produce corn syrup which have changed policy in the states which i i have been aware of and i know that like in terms of um uh, dietary policy that has in some cases been certainly in the states i think been affected by lobby groups and who you know have massive sway because they employ lots of people in agriculture and all the rest of it but coconuts are grown this is the thing it's not like you know i i couldn't understand why the uh, a heart association would be trying to dis- what they would have to gain from discrediting coconut oil. There always seems to be that there's a health fad, and then six months later, after everyone's embraced it, with the exception of avocados. <laughs> oh, God. But there does seem to be that you know you think oh good corn or whatever it might be, yeah, and then you hear something later where someone says oh actually there's no nutritional value or there's this that or the other, and you're like oh well how can I make good decisions? It's very difficult. How can you make good decisions, Claire? I ask you. Um, research, and I heard Nadine Baggett saying exactly this, like, you know, it's, there's, there is information available to us. I use PubMed, I love PubMed, which is, um, essentially a database of, um, published papers, um, and, you know, even with that, it's not straightforward, there are certain journals which are going to be more respected than others, um, but it's not a bad place to start if you're looking for information um, about anything, I think. About, you know, if you're, and if you're looking for evidence about how to approach anything, I think. Okay. That... But it's really difficult. There is, I mean, there is so much information out there. And picking out the bits which are relevant and mm. which are important. And I suppose, I guess you have to pin your, like colours to some sort of mast and you have to decide who you believe and it's like I'm really lucky I have access to brilliant people whose credentials I absolutely believe who I know that I can go to and ask questions of and I know that not everyone has that and I guess if you pinned your colours to Gwyneth Paltrow's mast then you're going to believe what she says you'll be steaming your (laughs) vagina (laughs) I really won't (laughs) Um, uh, and using jade balls as well, did you read that? no Okay, look, I'll probably put the link in the show notes. I think it's... Anyway, I'm not going to pick on that. So, you say about PubMed. Even, I think, for... 
And I say this because I'm not going to say this is the consumer generally, Mm -hmm. but for me as a consumer, so take the beauty editor out of it. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was younger. I was in my 20s before I became a beauty journalist, but I never looked at ingredients list. Right. And I probably never would have been inclined to go online, even, even though the internet was a bit janky back then. But I would never have been inclined to look at that. And I know that that was because that's the kind of consumer I am slash was. But I know that there will be people listening who want to make really, really good choices and they will think, well, God, there's, you know, there's supermarkets full, there's chemists full of all these amazing Mm -hmm. products. And I should just be able to go in there and it should be really clear. It should be really easy for me. And it's really not like it really isn't. And I like I wish I could say that there is this amazing formula. I mean, you, you can always look up ingredients listings. Um, and you can look up the ingredients. Um, Paula's Choice has a Beautypedia, I think, yeah. on her website, which I use an awful lot to look up ingredients. Um, I think that all the information on there is evidence-based. She references the papers that she's mm. talking about. And I find that a really useful source of information for anyone. And, you know, it's not written in scientific ease. But, the, but the, the thing that I think is that how is somebody who go onto that Beautypedia and yeah. see the ingredients and understand them, but how will they know if an ingredient is good or bad? That, do you see what I mean? I do see what you mean. And I suppose the fact is that there's no such thing as a good ingredient or a bad ingredient. And, you know, the combination... There are certain ingredients that we know have got amazing amounts of information behind them, um, that they have been proven to do the things we want them to do. And they are, like, the retinoids, the AHAs, the BHAs, um, vitamin C, I was going to say, vitamin E to a certain extent. Um, I feel like I missed something out. Niacinamide is one of the B vitamins. Yeah, I mean, mm. there, are, there are like... But literally, you can kind of like put them on the fingers of one hand. And we know that they're efficacious. And... Oh, yeah, peptides as well. How did I forget peptides? Um, but... So, <laughs> I can't know when I say peptides without me thinking about Nadine. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know they were pentapeptides, but... There were lots of peptides. They Some were. of them were great. Some of them are... Um, but, yeah, I mean... It's, it's, it is really difficult. I mean, I say, read my stuff and then you'll find out what's... I mean, I genuinely do, like... I'm very lucky. Like, I very rarely... Um, I don't think I've ever had to write about a product that I didn't want to write about. And I, I... You know, I'm freelance. And so if I get asked to write something and I don't believe in it, then I will actually... I have turned stuff down in the past because I didn't want to write about it because I didn't believe in it. Or I've written it... I mean, you know... Please don't pull out pieces that I wrote 10 years ago and I'll stand by them. But I mean, I would say, like, pretty much everything I've written in the last five, seven years, I would probably stand by. Um, do you have ClaireColeman.com? Like, where I do can have people. Do you have a resource on there of your pick of products? Oh, God, no, I haven't. I want you to do that really? immediately. From everything that you've said in this conversation, if you had a resource on your website that was your 10 best anti aging products and why. God, you're really? Ten, but, I, gosh, do, I suppose yeah. the thing is because I think that like what I use and what I like works for me, and I no, it's like, not yeah, not about what you would use. Although I'd be interested in that too, but about what you would feel comfortable recommending. I mean, I can tell because, you what I always recommend to people. I mean, on. I can tell you what brands I recommend to people. Okay. Um, we haven't talked about the ordinary. We haven't talked about Desian, but I think we probably should at some point. No, we should. We should. Um, uh, at the moment. And who knows what's going to happen because uh, Desiem have just 
taken some investment from I'm going to make you take a step back okay sorry we will talk about because so there's decium that's the ordinary yeah and there's a few and there's niod niod yeah so how does is decium the umbrella company so decium is the umbrella brand um and it has a load of sub brands underneath it fountain which was the um the liquid drink um supplements um it's in there um neod is in there which is a kind of quite high-end skincare the ordinary which is very simplistic in a lot of ways but still slightly complicated to get your head around skincare um inhibitif which was the um products to stop hair growing back um what else do they have? Oh, they had um, HIF, which was a hair care brand. I kind of lose count. Um, but the ones that people know mo- most at the moment are The Ordinary and Neod. Yes. Neod. From a skincare point of view. Yes, definitely. Um, and The Ordinary, I like because they are ingredients that have got um, a proven amount of evidence behind them about their efficacy. So if you want to use a vitamin C, um, there's a vitamin C from the ordinary, and it's not a ridiculous amount of money because it's like four. They're four pound all, ninety or yeah. something ridiculous like that. Yeah, all under ten pounds, pretty much. But the reason why. You know, there are products that I think are good, but I wouldn't necessarily put SkinCeuticals C-Ferulic on the list of things that I would recommend to everyone because I think it's very expensive. And I think to ask someone to spend that amount of money on a product when they don't know if it's going to work with their skin is too much of an ask. Everything that I would recommend to someone would probably be under £20 because I kind of figure that if you spend under £20 on a product and it doesn't work for you or you don't like it or like it pills underneath your foundation or whatever like you've spent under £20 on Mm. it if you spend £115 on it that's kind of but then you throw that's your foundation feel, in the bin <laughs> well, that's where I feel responsible um, and feel like that's but know, if, not okay but if you stand by it and, it and you stand by what it says it's supposed to do that's what I would like to see on clairecoleman.com by the way but let's talk about um, Decium let's talk about Decium so they have recently the big parent company umbrella yeah. company whatever you want to call it has taken investment from Estee Lauder yeah they have what are the implications of that, Claire Coleman? Well, the implications of that are, if you believe SEM, absolutely nothing. It won't change um, a thing. It just means that they can make more of the products that their consumers love and um, they can stop having people having to wait for mm. product. Um, the I have kind of... Personally, I have a bit of an issue with it, but maybe I'll come on to that a bit later. But I think the issue that I've seen widely um, talked about on social media is that one of the things that a lot of their consumers really liked about Decium was their stance on not testing on animals. And I know that they have subsequently said that they will um, continue with this uh, stance and they will also not um, be looking to expand distribution into China where animal testing is mandatory for products mm-hmm. sold over there. Now, that for a lot of people who are um, who are broadly invested in that kind of thing is not really good enough because they know that if now if they are buying a Decium product um, and some of that money is going back to the Estee Lauder group who do sell in China, and that is a really big issue for a really big group of consumers, um, and I think that's that's a big issue for Decium. Mm-hmm. Um, from my point of view, I remember I did a big interview with um, Brandon Truax, who's the founder of the brand, um, 
and we talked about why he had gone into the beauty industry. And they've been referred to a lot as a disruptor brand. Mm -hmm. um, they've been referred to a lot as uh, people, someone who is kind of shaking things up in the industry. And I really applaud that. You know, I think they're also, from my point of view, they have always been, with some caveats, very transparent about um, pricing on things. And so, for example, when I want to say write a piece about how much of this that I'm paying for is packaging, how much of this is advertising and all the rest of it, they will actually say, this is how much, if you were buying this raw ingredient, this is how much it costs us to buy, you know, however many kilos of this raw ingredient. If there's 0.05 milligrams of that ingredient in this product, that is the price of that ingredient in that product. And that's why The Ordinary has been popular, because they've just yeah. taken off all of the excess and you literally just buy yeah. what's in the bottle. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, obviously, they're, they're making money on that. But mm. then his argument with that is these are ingredients that have been a long, around a long time. Um, the cost of those ingredients, as all these things do, have come down over time. But they are still being presented in formulations with a bunch of other extraneous ingredients, like, you know, your rose from the Sahara, Sahara Desert and gold leaf, whatever. But actually, the things that are really kind of like the workhorse in that product... Um, is an ingredient that doesn't actually cost that much. And mm. so if you want to strip everything back, here's your ingredient, it doesn't cost that much. Yes, we're still making money on it, but, you know, it's still costing you under a tenner or whatever. Um, and I really liked that philosophy. Um, but the biggest thing for me was that when Brandon was talking about what, not why he went into the beauty industry, but his first experience in the beauty industry, his first experience in the beauty industry was with the Estee Lauder group. And was looking at the way that um, the ingredients listings were put together and he said, you know, basically you have... Most beauty products start with water as their biggest ingredient. Obviously not the oil-based ones, but mm -hmm. most will start with water as their biggest ingredient and then a bunch of chemicals that you don't necessarily know what they are. Now, consumers, without knowing why, feel that natural ingredients are better than these chemicals and they don't know what they are. And so rather than having water as the first ingredient, they would say that they had a lavender extract as their first ingredient or whatever. And that that could have just been that you had a massive tank of water and you dropped a bit of lavender in there and there was your, you know, there was your lavender extract or whatever. Not, I don't know why we're talking about lavender again. <laughs> that was just, I know. That was just a Lavender's a dirty word. Um, and so he felt that there was a certain amount of deception right from the very beginning um, in the industry. And he, when he was talking about this, he was using Estee Lauder as an example. Um, he also, when we were talking about it, was talking about, you know, to a certain extent, any business is deceptive. You know, you buy a product for a dollar and you sell it for two dollars. But there comes a point when you're selling it for far more than that and you're actually gouging the consumer. And... I found it very surprising that having used Estee Lauder as an example of one of the companies that he was essentially reacting against, he would take investment from them. And again, you know, maybe this is me being really naive because ultimately Decium is a company that um, is there to make money. Mm. And I think I had felt that they'd made money, they'd been able to make money by being relatively transparent you know the caveats that I was going to put on that are that he has always used um, the clinical trials and the evidence behind single ingredients rather than end products and right. so um, for some people that's okay but for me if you're telling me that drink this resveratrol and you're implying that it's going to have this result 
then I want to see that result from someone drinking fountain resveratrol rather than from resveratrol being used in some other experiment on right. its own. Um, so, yeah. Because you, you really do. So... Found in, so you you're saying you want to see the results of somebody consuming the product that yeah. he's pitching, not just the ingredient yeah. he's pitching. And I think that's really I mean not just with them and not just with that product, but with absolutely everything. You know, if you give me a product that contains um, I don't know vitamin C, and you say this has been shown to do X, Y, and Z, whereas actually X, Y, and Z has happened because you used vitamin C on its own in mm. this context. How do I know that whatever you've mixed with the vitamin C is going to still create the same result? That's a good point. Well, yeah, made really there, Coleman. You don't know. So would you need another clinical trial? I, I would like a clinical trial on end product. That's, and that is my thing. Clinical trials on end products rather than on ingredients. Because, you know, sugar does this, but when you put it in a cake, it does something, you know, it doesn't taste the same at the end of it, does it? You know. Very true. Well, the, does the molecular structure change? I think it probably does. I'm not a scientist either, officially or unofficially. Molecular like of eggs, definitely. I don't know about sugar. Do you get sugar hot enough to change its molecular structure when you're cooking it? I don't think so. Eggs, anyway, yeah, eggs you do. Eggs, gosh, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, right, I feel like we're drawing to a close. How would you like to end Claire Coleman? What would you like... The listeners, if you could arm them with one piece of information, oh gosh. Um, after for, on the back of all your years as an investigative beauty journalist, I don't know why I say it in that voice. <laughs> it just feels like it should have some grandeur. What, uh, yeah? What would you? What advice would you impart? I I would say ask the questions. If you want to know something about a product, I think you're entitled to know it. Mm. Um, and if you're not getting answers at all, or if you're not getting the answers that you want to get, tweet me because I will, you know, <laughs> or Instagram me or email me or whatever, because I will ask those questions for you. Because I feel really strongly that when someone is putting their hand in their pocket and spending money that they have earned, they have a right to know exactly what it is that they're buying and what it is it will do for them. Mm. And... <clears throat> You know, if you want to know where the ingredients have come from, if you want to know where the claims have come from, like, it, you should be asking those questions of the people who are producing those products. I think they should be giving you answers. I love, well, we'll obviously put Claire's social handles in the show notes so that you can tweet her, should you wish. Um, there's so much more we could talk about. Um, but I think for now, I'm just going to force you to... Um, what am I going to do? I'm going to force you to do that page on your website. I'm really scared of doing it, though. Oh, do it. And then I'm going to thank you hugely. Thank you. For being on the show. It's, it's been, been a, a pleasure. pleasure. Claire Coleman, everybody, the forensic beauty journalist. And she does mean it. If you do have a question, do tweet her at Features Journal with all of her links, including to the studies, etc. that she talked about in the show will be in the show notes on emmaguns.com. Now, if you're listening on iTunes, do feel free to go over, click subscribe and write a rating and review. And as ever, if you want to get in touch with this show, it's so easy. DM me on any of my social platforms. My handle is at Emma Gums. Or you can go over to emmagums.com, click the little envelope and that message will come directly in my, into my inbox. And I will do my very best to get back to you as quickly as possible. 
Thank you so much for listening and I will be back next week with another fabulous guest. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.